Good to see you guys. Everybody doing good? Yeah? Okay. Well, I, I was in California this past week. I got to spend the, the week with our church plant that is out there. Um, many of you know our uh, former worship leader prior to Brock, uh, a young man named Brent. Uh, he and his family felt a calling to uh, plant a church, and we just are so blessed to be a part of that with him. And so there are um, seven partner churches that got together and helped Brent and Jenna and their family uh, relocate and open a church there in San Luis Obispo. And um, man, it was such a, a good time to be out there with Brent and his family and be able to encourage them. And uh, they are so thankful for you guys and for the, uh, the support that we've been able to give them over the last several years uh, financially to help make that a reality. And the church is just doing amazing. They're facing some significant challenges uh, being in California just from a financial standpoint. Um, it is expensive. Um, I think uh, the cheapest that I saw gas was $6 a gallon for regular unleaded. And so uh, it's, that's just a, like one small indicator of the cost of living out there. So um, always keep them in your prayers. And um, if you are ever out in that area, it's kind of the central coast of California. Um, and they would love to see you and uh, have you stop by and visit the church. But I'll tell you a little bit more about them at the end. And uh, just a couple of things that we can be praying about as a church with our partners, our mission partners. But man, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, we're in this series called Through the Waters. And uh, this year we are looking at stories all throughout scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, to see how God has moved historically um, and certainly in present day and how he still is to move ahead of us, um, uh, where he has interacted with us, his people, um, solving issues that we face and being there in those moments of need, um, being there to comfort and to provide rescue. And, and so all this year, that's what we're going to be looking at is these stories from Scripture that can serve as inspiration for us today. Um, last week, I'm, Mike was uh, great being able to fill in, and I love listening to Mike teach. And I got a chance to catch up while I was out in California and listen uh, to the message from last weekend, and to hear Mike talk about this woman named Rahab, which was in uh, Joshua chapter 2, was the, the text that he focused on last week. The gist being last week with Rahab was that she was this woman of great faith. But I loved Mike's description of her because it was this extra um, element of, of Rahab's faith, is that she was a woman of great faith in action. And I think that's important. I think especially as you all see the story today, which is going to be a continuation of where Mike left off last Sunday, is that faith without action really is dead. Like there, there would not be purpose behind it. And so seeing her as this um, source, I think, of inspiration for us today uh, is incredible. And as you see how the story um continues this morning where Mike left off last week, I think you'll see the same thing that I do, that it is a story that we should fall deeply in love with um, because it is such a, a great moment of inspiration for us as a people who worship the same God and follow in the same footsteps of the God of creation who would give everything for us 
And time and time again, as we see all throughout the Old Testament with God's interaction with his people, uh, of how God showed up in these moments of rescue that without him, everything would have been lost. So if you did not have a chance uh, to be here last week or to watch online, man, really encourage you to, to get caught up and check out his sermon from last Sunday. As I said, the story that we're looking at this morning follows immediately after the story of Rahab. It's literally just a continuation. Uh, where Mike was last week in Joshua chapter 2, uh, we'll just be literally the next chapter, chapter 3 today. But before we start unpacking that, I'm going to read you the last two verses uh, from where Mike was last week um, uh, because this really sets up the continuation of the story. It'll help us um, transition to what we're going to look at today. So uh, after the spies left Rahab's home last week, um, they returned to Joshua and the people of Israel. And so listen to this, chapter 2, verse 23. It says, The two men returned, came down from the hill country, and they crossed over. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. They crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. Then they reported to him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, The Lord has indeed handed over to us all the land. Furthermore, all the inhabitants of the land have despaired because of us. So the, the two key pieces of those, those verses of where Mike wrapped up last week really set up the narrative for us as we open chapter 3 together today. The two things, again, I want you to pay really close attention to these as we, as we walk through this this morning. The first one is this kind of seemingly minor detail that's just sort of mentioned in verse 23, but it's not minor at all, but you'll, you'll understand as we go. Verse 23, it says that as they were returning, that they crossed over. And so we're gonna, we'll walk through that and talk about what that is. Um, but before we start unpacking, let me tell you the second one. Uh, the second detail for us to focus on as we start this morning together was in verse 24, and it's what the spies report to Joshua, that they say the Lord has indeed handed over to us all the land. So these two elements, they crossed over and the Lord has handed over the land. Hang on to those because that's really key for us as we unpack the rest of the story today. So that first detail, again, it's just sort of mentioned that the spies are returning. It says they come down out of the hill country. They crossed over to Joshua and, and all of the nation of Israel. It's important not so much because of the spies. It's why it's almost just like kind of this little afterthought detail. They crossed over. It's not a big deal for them because this is just two men, you know, who are returning back to give their report to Joshua. The thing that they crossed over is the Jordan River. That, that would not be a monumental task for two young men who had traveled very lightly because they're spies. You know, they're not lugging uh, armor and equipment. I mean, they were supposed to go inconspicuous and then return inconspicuously. And so it was no big deal for these couple of young, young guys to go across a river and then come back across the river to give their report. It was a big deal, though, from the standpoint of who they were returning to. Because the nation of Israel stands on the bank of the Jordan looking across the river at the land that God had promised them. 
And the Israelites, as they stand at the bank of this river, recognize that this is going to be an obstacle. And I'll tell you why. The Jordan River, it's not uh, necessarily the biggest river in the world. It's a long river. That's kind of one of its um, things that is notable is its length. But it's not a gigantic, um, uh, huge river. In fact, if you go there at the right season, um, it, it, it's a very small, kind of almost like a creek. Like it, in the dry season, it, it really dwindles down to where the deepest spot you might find might be just a couple of feet. Probably in the driest part of the year, you could actually just walk across it fairly easily. But for the Israelites, as they stand on the bank of the Jordan River, waiting for this news, the Jordan is a huge obstacle. Now, I'll tell you why about that in just a minute as we go, but it's probably important to have a little bit of a refresher as to why they're standing at the bank of the Jordan, looking across at the land that God had promised. These are people that have been wandering for about 40 years. That's not actually 100% accurate. A lot of that 40 years, they weren't just like roaming in circles. They were camped in, in one particular place. But there's probably two or three years of just actual, just roaming through the desert. But it had been 40 years since they had left Egypt. And now as they stand on the bank of this river, this is the final obstacle that stands between them and the land that God had promised to give them. Now, again, if it had been a certain time of year, the Jordan would have been no obstacle at all. They literally could have just walked across and barely even gotten their feet, well, gotten their feet wet. But at this particular time of year, as they stand on the bank of this river, it is not in the dry season. They have arrived at the bank of the Jordan at the peak of the rainy season. In the rainy season, the Jordan becomes a mighty river because of the flooding, because of all of the water. In fact, at the peak of rainy season along the Jordan River Valley, the Jordan River will be as much as 12 feet deep and over a mile wide. That's a big river. If you think about crossing a body of water that is a mile wide and is literally a raging, flooded river, it is not an easy task especially for a group of people the size of the nation of Israel. And so God leads them to the banks of the Jordan. And the first question that I think naturally comes to our mind is God has led these people for 40 years in a desert, 40 years to work out timing. And instead of bringing the people to the bank of a creek, he brings them to the bank of a raging, mile-wide, 12-foot-deep river. And this is a large group of people. And they cannot just walk across. As if it had been in the dry season, they would have been able to. And I think it's easy for us to ask this question, why? 
I mean, God, if you're going to orchestrate all of that and have all of this 40 years of planning, I mean, couldn't it have just been a few months later? To arrive at this dry riverbed and just allow them to march into the promised land. Why? Well, let's just imagine for a moment that God had done it that way. He had said, okay, you know what, that, let's, let's get you there right at the peak of the dry season. You'll just be able to walk straight across. The people of Israel probably would have done that, right? They probably would have approached the river and recognized, like, man, this is amazing. We'll be able to walk across this. We're not even going to get our sandals soaked. This is so awesome. Maybe they would have even begun to formulate some stuff in their mind that says, my goodness, we are so lucky. I can't imagine the luck that we have. This is incredible. Or maybe even worse, that they would have said, we truly are a blessed people. We don't have anything to worry about. They might have just raised their swords and charged straight across this creek bed at a breakneck speed. I think overconfidence would have absolutely been something they would have encountered. Because instead of following after God, they probably would have found themselves running ahead of him. So I think the answer as to why is by having the Israelites arrive at the bank of the Jordan at the peak of the rainy season when the river is at its widest, at its deepest, at its swiftest current, the height of the flood, God causes the people to stop, to pause, and to take their eyes off of the prize that they can see beyond the obstacle and focus their eyes on him. Because they didn't have any choice. It's a hard thing to grasp, I think, for us as people that obstacles sometimes that lay in front of us, obstacles that we come up against, they always feel like they are such a drag. I mean, they always feel like it could not have been worse timing, that it could not have been more insurmountable, that it could not have been more damaging in the momentum that we had maybe as we were moving forward. But the reality this morning that I hope that we will leave here with today is that sometimes obstacles actually can be a blessing. Sometimes obstacles, if we heed them and we do take that moment to stop, to pause, to turn our eyes from maybe what our goal was and to put our eyes on him, that we will find the solution he has for us in order to get over whatever that obstacle is. As I was thinking about this this past week while I was out in California and uh, just getting some time, you know, a couple of the days that I had some free time to just think about and work on the message. As I was thinking about that very idea, about the obstacles that we face in life, man, this story came to mind a personal story, and I was like, that is perfect. It's like the, it's the most perfect story ever. The problem is, 
most of the time when I share stories with you guys, they're about me, you know, because I don't mind you guys laughing at me. I mean, yes, it hurts my feelings a whole lot, but I like to make you feel better about yourselves. And so I'll do pretty much anything in, in, in order to make sure that you feel good. This story is not my story, though. It's the, it's the story of my wife. And so I knew there was some pretty significant risk in sharing this story. And so I thought maybe the 930 would be the only people that got to hear it because I assumed that I would be killed afterwards for sharing it. She didn't kill me, though. I wouldn't say she's exactly happy, but she seemed okay. And so I'll probably make it up to her later. We'll do a honeydew list at the house or something, and, and she'll, she'll be okay. So I promise this is not going to cause marital conflict by me sharing it. But it is so perfect when we think about this idea of us facing obstacles that could be a blessing if we will see it the right way. So here's the story. Picture it. <laughs> I don't know how to start it. Picture it. It was circa 1999. It was like a, a nice summer day. Tara and I had been married about four or five years at that point. And we both worked in downtown Louisville. And so Tara, as you guys know, she is very fit. Like she, she loves going on hikes, on walks. On I like watching movies, but you know it's opposites attract. So, so she is, <laughs> so she is uh, at her office, and she knows that she has this meeting. That's you know just a, a short little twenty five hundred block walk for her, and so she decides since it's such a nice day, she's going to walk. The thing that Tara had not really anticipated in making this decision was all of the things that she had to take with her to this meeting. If you see the work that my wife does, like some of the binders that she has, I mean, they are like this big, and she had like five of these. And so you've seen my wife, she is tiny. She's like lugging them like this, you know. She's carrying all these binders. And she's about halfway to this meeting, and she is really regretting the decision because she's in a business suit, high heels, and she is sweating and and arms feel like they're about to break off. But she's within a couple of blocks of this meeting, so desperate to set these binders down. And she cuts across one of the streets, the, actually probably maybe the last street she'll have to cross. And she's halfway across the, the um, um, what do you call that, the walkway or whatever. The, um, why, my mind just went blank. Crosswalk, yeah, the crosswalk, sorry. I don't know, my brain just went completely blank. She's halfway across this crosswalk, and this is her telling me this. She's like, I get halfway, and I notice at the end of the crosswalk is this huge sign that I'd somehow missed that says, sidewalk closed. Yeah, I know. That was her reaction, except I think she cussed. And so, no, I'm kidding. She's, she's a preacher's kid. She didn't cuss. She probably said, oh, shoot. So she, she's standing there. Well, that is idiotic. Why would they put the sidewalk closed sign at the end of the crosswalk? They sh if they didn't want me using that sidewalk, they should have put it at the beginning of the crosswalk, and then I would have known. But now they're saying, I got to go all the way back, go down a block, up a block, over a block. No way. I'm not doing it. And so she's like, I'm just going to keep going. And so she walks to the end of the crosswalk to where the sidewalk closed sign is, and she does this maneuver and steps around it and takes her first step onto what is this beautifully pristine, brand new sidewalk. She's gonna be the one that inaugurates it, that breaks it in. 
The problem is it wasn't yet a sidewalk. It was wet concrete. And so as she steps, sinks, she says just to her calf, it was way up here. I'm telling you, because (laughs) she calls me as she's on the street crying, and I run downstairs because I don't know what's happened. I run downstairs, and I see her about a block up, and she's walking towards me, and she is about every second step, she takes this leg and goes, and you just see wet concrete like splatter. (laughs) And of course, I'm like, Jason, you're at a cross point. If you laugh, you are dead. If you try to show sympathy, you are dead. (laughs) If you mistreat her in any way, you're dead. There's really no way you're not going to die. And so, you know, it it was just this, like, how how do I help her? I took the Jeff Foxworthy approach and just walked up and said, here's your sign. She didn't like it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I'm not that stupid. I mean, I'm a stupid, stupid man at times, but I'm not that stupid. And you say, how in the world do you tie that in to these nation of people standing on a flooded bank of the Jordan River? I'm so glad that you asked because it is an important, I think, uh, correlation for us to look at Tara's experience and the experience of the Israelites. Because I think, as I've said so many times, as we look at these stories throughout Scripture, so many of the events, especially the miraculous ones, are so hard for us to picture. But if we can bring it down to the place where we live and the things that we encounter, we can find some important info for us to take out of it. And so as Israel is standing on the bank of this flooded river, they did not see it as a blessing. It would have been impossible to imagine. How in the world do we move forward? The reality is that sometimes obstacles, they're not just a a stoppage of our momentum. Sometimes it's not just this unfair, unfortunate thing that lies in front of us. Sometimes obstacles are blessings. Because they prevent us from doing something that will lead us down very dark paths. They will lead us into very not good conclusions. Now, obstacles are almost always tough. They're a bummer. (laughs) Especially when things seem to be going so well. Obstacles usually seem to pop up at the worst possible moment. But I'm telling you this morning, the thing that I hope that we'll see in this story is that sometimes they have a very significant purpose that God is using to communicate to us. For Joshua and the nation of Israel, the obstacle of the Jordan forced them to pause. They had no choice. There was no stepping around the the promised land is closed sign. They had to stop. They had to wait for God's provision. Like I said, two strong men had swum across it and brought news to Joshua. That was no big feat. But they were young. They were strong. They had no families in tow, no equipments, no, no, no armor, no weapons, no livestock. But getting what some scholars have estimated to be as, much, as many as 600,000 men 
and all of their families and all of their supplies, all of their livestock, all of their food. It would have been impossible absent a miracle. So let's look this week at the story in chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, and this is as they're standing on this flooded riverbank, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they will know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. So you shall command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And then jump down to verse 15. It says, when those who were carrying the Ark came up to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark stepped down into the edge of the water, says, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. This is the rainy season. Then the waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in a heap. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until the nation had finished crossing the Jordan River. I mean, that is... That is incredible. But it's, it's very hard to picture. You heard Mike last week as he was talking about Rahab that she knew the story of the Israelites escaping from Egypt. She knew that their God had separated the waters of the Red Sea. That was at the beginning of their journey. And now here at the final leg of their journey, the, the final mile of their journey, he separates the waters again. The lesson for us, I think, out of this story, there's a few things, actually, I think, that we should take out of this for ourselves. The first is that reminder where we started to, together today, where I said the obstacles sometimes are God's way of getting us to slow down, to think, to give us some time so that we will seek his guidance, so that we will refocus our attention on him for his direction. The reminder, I think, is for us to not just look at the obstacle that's in front of us and throw our hands up. Certainly not just give up and turn around and walk away, but also not to just plow through. Because that sometimes is our other instinct, right? Is to just see the obstacle and just say, well, I'm just put my head down. I'm just going head first through this. The problem is that sometimes what looks so good on the other side of that obstacle that looks like that pristine, unused sidewalk is actually wet cement. It's quicksand. The best solution always involves us seeking his will first, listening for his instruction, following his command. That's the first thing. The second thing that we should take from this, and it's very connected to that first idea, is that it can be tempting maybe not to run away from the obstacle, maybe not to try to plow through the obstacle, but it can be tempting to try and ignore it, to just pretend that it's not there. Maybe that means that we just end up kind of standing still and not doing anything. 
We look around, we see the thing we want, and we just say, well, you know, I'm just, just going to ignore this, this obstacle in front of me. And instead, it very much could be that it's a sign saying, stop, don't do this. And as a result, if we ignore it, we find ourselves sinking in that quicksand that looked so appealing from a distance. The reality is, is that obstacle maybe is saving us from disaster. That is very hard for us to keep in our mind. It's hard to hold on to that as as credence, as, as saying, yes, that is a possibility. It's so hard because the world tells us to ignore obstacles. But my encouragement to you this morning is to not, is to look to God and to seek his wisdom. The third and final thing that I think we can take from this this morning for us today, and this one's hard, I know so many of you. I know your stories. And I know the hurts that you've experienced. And I know the heartaches that you're going through. But it's still true. No matter what the situation is that you face, no matter what you're going through, no matter the level of heartache or the depth of hurt, God has a plan. He has always had a plan. The thing that I love so much about this story is that God had made it clear to his people time and time and time and time again that he was a miracle worker, that nothing was too big for him to overcome. But also time and time and time again, they missed it or they ignored it. Here, though, we see that the priests, commanded by Joshua through God, followed his orders, followed his directive, and they took that step into the still flowing water and they stood still. And God did the rest. But it still required them to take that step. Today, God has a plan in your situation, whatever it is. So my encouragement is don't give up. Don't throw your hands up and walk away. But also don't just put your head down and plow through. Look at the obstacle in front of yourself and ask, is there any possibility that this obstacle is there not to break me, not to push me down, not to make my life horrible, but is there to protect me from what may be on the other side. That is not always going to just be easy to assess and, and know right in that moment, but it is definitely worth seeking God's direction, his leading. It's not easy at times to wait for God's answer. But I promise you that he will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. We just have to look to him, to keep our focus on him, to call on his name, to trust in his plan and provision in our life. I think for us here in America, 
We take that for granted so much. Again, this is not to make light of anyone's situation. Like I said, I know so many of your stories and I know how heartbreaking they are at times. But in our country as a whole, we don't face things that people around the world face. As I mentioned with going to California, they, they face some obstacles there financially. It's just an expensive place to run a church, to uh, pay employees. All of those things are hard. And I want us to be praying for, for Slow, for Brent, for his team, because they, they need it. But man, also this week, how God works, always so amazing to me. I got a message from our church plant in the Ukraine, in Ukraine. As you guys know, I went a few years ago in the midst of the war and was able to sneak into the country and spend time with a pastor there that had gone to school here in Cincinnati. He's a Ukrainian. He went back home. His home, his town, was, was one of the first towns that fell to Russia. And so he and his family evacuated, but his parents were too ill, too feeble to leave. And so his sister, brother-in-law, and nieces and nephews stayed with his parents in their home. He told me this week that he had just gotten word that his parents' house had been destroyed. He knows that his parents and his sister and brother-in-law and the kids made it out, but he has no idea where they are. And they're on the, what is now the Russian-controlled portion of Ukraine. There is no way for them to just come into Ukraine. As I talked to him, man, my heart was breaking. Because it is so hard to imagine. Leading a church as he is, which is now over 600 refugees, all of them having similar stories to his. And for him to spend his time caring for them in their moments of need. When his heart is absolutely shattered. Even in the toughest of obstacles, God has a plan. And I believe this with everything in me that whatever the result of the war in Ukraine, that God will be glorified. His name will be lifted up. People will come to know Jesus through the hurt and the pain and the tragedy. So I'm gonna invite you to do something this morning for us to end our time together. I'm just gonna invite you to stand. I, I wanna have just a moment. Um, just for us to have some just quiet time, won't be very long, to pray for our, our sister church in Ukraine that we support. And Pastor Gienna is his name, G-H-E-N-N-A. He's one of the best men you'll ever get to meet. I hope that someday he will be able to come here. But to pray for Gienna, for his family, for all of those families in that church, that you are making a huge difference 
in the generosity of Eastside being able to reach out to them. But let's pray for them, for their safety, for peace in Ukraine. Let's pray for Brent and his team in San Luis Obispo in California, the most unchurched city in the United States. Fewer churches in San Luis Obispo than any other city in the United States. And Brent and his team are making a huge impact. But let's just have a moment to pray, then I'll pray, and then we'll sing this last song together. stand here this morning I recognize that there are men and women and families all around this world who face challenges bigger than we could even imagine risks not just of freedom but of life and limb yet through it all, Father. Seeing these men and women of faith in action is so inspiring to us, Father. But I know that there are hearts that are broken. I know the obstacles that they face seem so overwhelming. So, Father, right now, I just, I pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. I pray for there to be an end to this unjust war. I pray in the meantime, Father, for your protection. I pray for your encouragement for my friend, Gianna. I pray for your hands to be around his family, wherever they are. Pray too, Father, that you will give him new strength every morning and new peace every night so that he can rest and do the work that you have in store for him. Father, for Brent, for Jenna, for all of the team at Slow out in California, I pray the same. That you will just give them a sense, Father, of, of assurance in the direction that you have laid out for them. That every obstacle that they face is not insurmountable by you. Father, we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. We're so grateful for what he did on the cross for each of us. I just pray that we have a reminder every day of your provision for us your desire for us to share the good news of your son with everyone that we meet. Father, I am so thankful for this place, for these people. I pray for your blessings to be on this, your church, on each family here today, Father, and that we will leave this place on fire to face everything that confronts us, not because of our ability, but because of who you are stand in confidence knowing that you have a plan. Father, we love you so much. 
We say all of these things together in the precious name of your son, Jesus. And everyone who believes, shout it. Amen.